0: Hey what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number two. As I mentioned in a previous episode, maybe in the previous q and uh, I'm planning to do more of these Q&As on Thursday episodes. I'll still keep doing beginner tips as long as I have New topics that haven't been covered before that are highly relevant for beginners. But if I have to start making things up, then it's no longer worth it. Then I will just consider everything covered and uh, the archive is always there for everybody to go back to. And I will have to keep filling the first episodes with something else, like these Q&As. But definitely send me your feedback. What do you think about these episodes? Is there something else I should be doing with the first day episodes as the beginner tip catalog starts to fill up? Let me hear your thoughts, because this podcast is for you. My email is michael at com, and that's michael with a K, and I appreciate your feedback. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. As I record this, I'm two days out from Ironman 70.3 Qashqais, so I'm getting a bit edgy, but it's all good. I'm well prepared. Anyways, the weather forecasts show that we're looking at a day around 30 degrees Celsius, that's 86 Fahrenheit, so hydration is a key part of my race plan. Uh, it has to be, or I will have a very ugly day, and especially end of day probably. So I retook Precision Hydration's sweat test to make sure that it's up to date. And my plan now is to preload the night before. I will have one 500 milliliter bottle of Precision Hydration 1500 so that's fifteen hundred milligram per liter sodium concentration. And I will have the same on the race morning, finishing it at the latest one hour to forty five minutes before the race start. On the bike, I will have 1.8 liters of fluid. That's roughly 750 milliliters per hour. I hope to be out less than two hours, 30 minutes on the bike course. And uh, this will actually be a mix of Science in Sports sports drink that has some sodium, but not very much like most sports drinks. So I will mix in precision hydration in that sports drink and get both, uh, both the sodium and the electrolytes as well as the energy although i will have gels as well to to supplement with energy and this is something that uh It's kind of not what uh, Andy, who is the founder of Precision Hydration, recommends and recommended in my interview with him. I tried it in training. I think it works well for me. Logistically, it's great because I don't have to carry a lot of additional gels because I get so much energy already from the sports drink. So that's the main reason why I do it like this. And also, it's just faster to get energy from just uh, getting the bottle out to drink rather than opening a gel, I think. So I will win a lot in the aero department, I think, from having less time spent uh, spent on opening gels and putting them back in my pockets and uh, that sort of thing. But anyway, I, I will mix in the pH 1000. So this will correspond to pH 1500 when I take into account that there already is some sodium in the sports drink. And on the run, I'll have uh, pH sweat salt capsules with me and try to take three of them with each 500 milliliters of fluid I drink. In practice, this means one capsule per mug of water that I consume. So you can get the same sort of, uh, of hydration plan for your race on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test. It's also linked to in the episode description. And uh, if you decide to buy any electrolyte products, use the promo code that show all one word, All caps. To try your first box for free. And big thanks to Roka. Uh, This is my other secret weapon for the race... I don't know if I've mentioned this before but I currently don't own a triathlon bike since I have been focusing on draft legal racing so even now going to 70.3 non-draft racing I'll be on a road bike which is kind of funny given that I want to try and be competitive and uh, having a triathlon bike is the most no-brainer thing you can do in terms of being aerodynamic and fast on the bike. Well I won't I I'll try to be as aero as I can on my clip-on aero bars and my road bike and road helmet but uh, I will try to optimize all other areas instead. I do have a cutting edge in the equipment area on the wetsuit, goggles and tri-suit uh, side of things with Roka's Maverick X, which is just an amazingly fast wetsuit. And I tried quite a few wetsuits and nothing even compares to this one. It's it's like gliding in a spaceship through water. That's And it makes it so fun to swim as well. Then I have the R1 goggles, and you might think that goggles—they don't make a big difference. But actually, for me, they do. I've uh, worked through tons and tons of different goggles and could never find a pair that doesn't leak for me. I guess I have a weird-faced shape, a weird-shaped face. But uh, the R1 goggles—first of all, they don't leak. That's the most important performance benefit for me. But also, the way that their lens is angled, I barely need to lift my head to be able to sight so that makes the sighting so efficient for me and i lose very little momentum compared to most others when sighting so in the open water when sighting is included i become Comparatively much more competitive than when you don't need to sight in a pool. And finally, on the bike, I have the Gen Elite Two Tri Suit, which is just uh, you just need to look at it and you think Aero, and it is Aero. You can you can see it on the speed on your head unit when you when you're out riding. That man, this suit really helps me go fast. So, if you want to buy any of those products or any other Roca products, you can get twenty percent off your entire order using the promo code ThatTriathlonShow. And uh, that's all one word, all caps, on roca.com. Uh, I have to clarify: I got an email from one of my coach athletes, and uh, the code doesn't seem to apply to already discounted products. So I want to clarify that. But for no- but for normally products, uh, normally priced products, it's uh, a sweet twenty percent off the entire order. All right. First question: We have uh, Barrys from uh, from New York. Uh, so he writes. Hi, Michael. I'm a beginner triathlete from Brooklyn, New York. I usually train 10 to 12 hours per week. I also have a 15-month-old daughter, a demanding job in consulting and travel for work. To manage all of the above, most of the time I end up doing my workouts back-to-back. Specifically, when I have a swim and bike scheduled for the same day, I do the swim and proceed to bike right away and try to finish before 7.30 in the morning. Apologies if you covered this already in the podcast. Wanted to ask if this required a different approach compared to doing one of the workouts in the morning and the second one in the evening. How should I adjust the intensity, duration or nutrition? Many thanks in advance. All right, great question. Thanks for that, Barrys. First thing to do is to... On a weekly basis, on a a weekly level, you should identify your key workouts. And these are the workouts that you know that you need to really maximize your performance in. You want to get as high power as possible, as high speed as possible, as uh, good a pace as you possibly can in these workouts. And these key workouts that you really need to perform in, I would do them first in the morning if you have back-to-back workouts. So if you have a key bike and a swim on the same day, I would do the bike first and then the swim. If none of them are key, you can do whichever order you prefer. Maybe the swim first makes sense because that's the way that we do triathlons. And, uh, and if it's the other way around that the swim is the key workout, definitely do the swim first. Uh, in some cases, the entire purpose of even a key workout may be a simulation workout. Uh, so like, for example, a hard bike after swimming or a hard run after biking. And the closer that you get to your races, the more frequent this scenario becomes. So in that case, you... Obviously, don't do the hard workouts necessarily first. You do it in the order that it should be simulation-wise. But when, for example, you're working to try to improve your FTP or your, your threshold pace, your just your physiology, put simply, then doing that key workout, for example, a key bike, before what might be a, an easier or a moderately hard swim will be better because otherwise your performance on the bike is definitely going to be down by quite a few watts So that means that you don't get quite the same adaptation, even though it's good as a race-specific workout. So to sum up that point, I would adjust the order of workouts so you don't really need to adjust intensity, because you can still do an easier endurance workout after a very hard key workout. Uh, Don't be afraid, though, to go on the slower end of the aerobic endurance zone in those secondary workouts. And as for duration, you just need to work with the time that you have available, so again start from those key workouts mapping them out if you need 90 minutes to get your key bike session in and you have two hours in total to train then you're forced to make for example a run that you have in addition to the bike just 30 minutes even though in an ideal scenario you might have liked to have it be 40 to 45 minutes but training is almost never ideal so that's what you have to live with go from the, those key workouts start from there and take it from there finally fueling this becomes very important with these back-to-back workouts for sure depending on uh, your size and also like exactly how fit you are you're right that you're a beginner but maybe you're a strong cyclist and can produce a lot of power i don't know if you have especially for those of you that may be like more intermediate advanced and uh, can produce a lot of power on the bike and on the run and on the swim. With, let's say, two one-hour workouts back-to-back, that may easily be 1,500 to 2,000 calories burnt in those two hours. So my recommendation is to have breakfast before, even though you start very early. It's not going to be very big because you will start very soon after breakfast, I assume. Uh, and something that you know won't disrupt your training but maybe for me i might have some oatmeal with a banana and a little protein powder maybe even a handful of nuts in there depending on the amount of energy that you consume in this pre-workout meal you may or may not need to fuel in workout one so personally for example i like to have quite a lot of calories in that pre-morning workout breakfast so it could easily be 700 calories for me and then I can do a one hour swim, for example, with only water, then have a snack like an energy bar or a banana, some more oatmeal or even a, a toast or something like that before the second workout right away afterwards, which I may or may not fuel depending on how hard that is and how hard the previous workout was. And uh, generally speaking, those endurance workouts, if uh, even if they are an hour and a half, you don't really need to fuel them, I don't think. In some cases, you may want to train your gut, in which case you would fuel them, but uh, in some other cases, you might not want not to fuel them. So uh, this I don't want to get into too much complex detail here, and anyway, this is something that we can argue back and forth for about for a long time. but uh, but the one thing that I would say is that in those key workouts, let's say you have one of those key bikes as your first workout, even if it's only one hour, I would still fuel with some sports drink. Both to get those final few percentage point uh, points out of yourself in that workout, uh, knowing especially that you just recently had your breakfast, so a lot of it is still, you're not going to have that energy available to you immediately. You're still going to be, technically, your muscles are going to be fasting uh, a fair bit because it takes some time for the food to digest and for the energy to become available to you. So that sports drink is an immediate source of energy that helps you perform to the maximal, uh, to your maximum potential in that workout. But also, if you have that very hard first workout, you might burn close to 1000 calories in it. And uh, even if you had a 700 calorie breakfast, you, you're still going to be in a net calorie neutral or deficit after including the breakfast and sports drink. And the energy that you burned in that workout. So for the second workout to be, even if you don't, you're not going to fuel it necessarily, but you still don't want to like be in a very deep well of uh, energy deficit when you go into that. So so that's what I would do in most situations. If you have a hard key workout as your first workout, fuel a little bit extra with some sports drink on it. That I guess is uh, about it. It all depends really on how hard those workouts are, but I hope that this gives you some ideas on what direction and uh, what, in what way you should think about this berries. So thank you again for writing in. Next question is from Ronan Confortes. I don't really know how to pronounce this, uh, Ronan. Sorry about that. I don't know where you are from. Uh, so, but thank you anyway for your question, which is a very very good one. Uh, Ronan writes hey Michael I'm Ronan an age group triathlete since 2010 and a big fan of your show after listening to episode 140 with the Carson Kristen some questions regarding low cadence came to mind I was educated since the beginning to ride with high cadence 100 to 120 so the leg muscles won't get fatigued for the run I'm not really into physiology, but that sounds reasonable to me in just the same way Carson's claim about low cadence and low heart rate sounds. Can you put a little light on this topic? Okay, so I'll start by answering this question and then Ronan has a few more. But uh, regarding this and the physiology of it, we know that mechanically a lower cadence is more effective. So you're going to waste less energy. You're going to produce less waste energy as heat, for example, with a cadence in the 50 to to 80 uh, RPM range compared to higher cadences. This is called gross efficiency, at least in most research paper. And in this cadence range, your gross efficiency is the highest and your VO2 is the lowest for a constant power output. If we get a bit more detailed here, if uh, from 50 to 80 RPM... When you increase cadence, the optimal cadence, the most effective cadence, also increases. With, uh, with, in- sorry, with increased power, the optimal cadence increases. So maybe at a low power of 100 watts, your optimal cadence might be 50 RPM. But at 300 watts, your optimal cadence might be 80 RPM. Uh, those are numbers that uh, I just pulled, pulled out of my head. But, uh, but that gives you an idea of what, what it means. And you can verify this actually by looking at the, if you have a power meter, you look at the the cycling, the pedaling dynamics data from your power meter, you may see that uh, when you go for rides where you have a higher spinning RPM, your torque effectiveness, which is uh, how large a proportion of the pedal cycle you actually apply power, that may be, for example, 67% in a high cadence workout. And in a low cadence workout, let's say, below 80 it may be significantly higher than that around 75 percent. and these are not pulled out of my hat these are pulled out of my training peaks my own my own training data so uh, that's where where i got these numbers from by the way Uh, and this means essentially that you are wasting more energy that doesn't go into driving your bike forward at higher rpms so if you ride at 200 watts uh, you use 200 watts to apply power to the bike at 100 RPM compared to 70 RPM, you are actually your body is using significantly more watts than uh, than the watts that go into the pedals, and that's where that wasted energy comes through. You can't measure it well. You you can in a research lab, but you can't measure it usually. But but that's just what we what we know mechanically that happens. But then the the theory about uh, not burning your legs out or tiring your leg muscles out for the run, and tiring them out in general is that at higher cadences you are using less fast twitch muscles to pedal than uh, than you are when you are pedaling at lower RPMs because the force per pedal stroke is lower, and uh, and this is where the theory comes from uh, because when you need a high force you need to apply more muscles. Uh, more muscle fibers and uh, you start to recruit those fast twitch muscle fibers and they get tired much more easily they rely a lot on their stored energy so the muscle glycogen and that can run out so this is why there is some research about how metabolically it's more effective to pedal at a high rpm because you're not going to run out of fuel or muscle glycogen specifically if you pedal at a higher rpm as quickly as if you pedal at a lower rpm However, uh, what I think and what the theory is, is that you can train your... Actually, we know this this to some extent. You can train your fast-twitch muscle fibers to be more resilient and get better endurance uh, and get the best of both worlds, like mechanical effectiveness, and uh, that equals energy efficiency, but also resilience to metabolic fatigue that uh, the fast-twitch muscles are are susceptible, susceptible to. By doing this sort of low cadence training. Also, one other thing to mention is that uh, in 7.3 and Ironman racing, the power output is uh, usually low enough, it's far enough from your VO2 max, that it's not as if you activate a massive amount of fast twitch fiber with each pedal stroke anyway. Plus, you should always think about momentum on the bike. So, when you first get up to speed, use a higher cadence. Like if you are in a long straightaway, let's say you start a time trial actually from a standstill. Use a light gear and high cadence at the start to get up to speed. But once you are at your goal power and your goal speed, you can start to to ramp that cadence down by shifting to a higher gear, and then you will actually have wasted a minimal amount of energy. That's the most efficient use of momentum. So listen to my episode last week to learn more about speed and momentum. And this all plays into this physiology discussion that we have now. Um one more thing, by the way, uh, that I want to mention before going to the rest of your questions. This is not often talked about. I don't think a lot of people know this, but there are some studies that have shown an increase in brain activity when you increase your cadence, so when you pedal at a higher RPM. And we know for sure that the brain is by far the biggest source of energy consumption that we have in our body. It really consumes a lot of energy. So there is a potential that low cadence cycling can save a lot of energy, metabolic energy, glycogen by having less demands from brain activity compared to high rpm cycling but this hasn't been directly shown so it is quite speculative i should add all right so you have a a couple of specific questions one is this attitude common around more elite coaches any other top coaches that claim the opposite Um, i would say it's quite common off the top of my head, I know that at least Joe Friel prescribed quite a lot of low-ish cadence, but usually I think he talks about less than 80 RPM, so not super low. Uh, not as low as trisado definitely matt dixon has a lot of low cadence work i know uh, you can read in his book fast track triathlete he has a example training plans there and it really seems to me as an outside observer that the low cadence training is at the heart of the bike training that goes on there a key ingredient just like it is in the trisado camp as well so those are two examples i don't know of any elite triathlon coaches that are against that approach Uh, personally I'm not an elite coach of course but uh, I see great results with including quite a lot of low rpm training but also high rpm training so I really try to mix it in and I know that actually both Joe Friel and Matt Dixon have, uh, have high cadence training as well in their program so it's not as if it's just one or the other. I think that if you train both ends, that's where you can get really become the most effective at all different physiological aspects. Of course, I don't coach elite athletes. I should add, so maybe I don't fit the criteria for your question. But also personally, as an athlete, I find great results from doing uh, low cadence training that my coach prescribes to me on a regular basic this basis. This is really given me fantastic results and improved power so you probably guessed it already that i'm i am a big fan of low cadence training but i also consider high cadence training important although if i had to choose one i would choose low cadence training your second specific question is two doesn't more fatigued leg muscles uh, have to consume more blood resulting in higher heart rate so the fatigue that may happen is really because of metabolic limitations as i described The fast twitch fibers relied a lot on their stored muscle glycogen. And if they need to work a lot and they need to work more with uh, lower cadences, then they are going to run the risk of running their glycogen stores low. So as I said, there are some studies showing that high cadence cycling is metabolically more efficient in the sense that... uh, you don't necessarily run out of glycogen in your fast twitch muscle fibers as easily. And this is uh, when you run out of muscle glycogen in fast twitch fibers, it you will definitely feel it on the bike for sure. I guess there may be a domino effect uh, to this that uh, if you're not trained to if you're not trained your fast twitch fibers to be resilient enough and this happens you run out of their glycogen and basically you stop using them to any large extent. Then the heart actually does start to pump more blood into the still-standing slow-twitch fibers. But uh, again, as I said, I think that you can get around this metabolic limitation by training a lot. Not not a lot, but including low-cadence training and not make it a limiter. So now you may ask, can't I do it the other way around and get around the mechanical limitation by training high-cadence? And yes, I think you can improve your mechanical efficiency for sure. You can improve your stroke effectiveness. I don't think that you can ever get as efficient at pedaling at high cadences as at low cadences mechanically. Or get the heart rate down to the same level. And my personal belief is that you can can get more out of your, your training by working more from the lower cadence end than the higher cadence end. Uh, I think there's more room for improvement by making those uh, fast twitch muscles more resilient than the room for improvement by increasing your stroke effectiveness. That's uh, my personal belief. And uh, I see this training uh, method working well with the age group athletes that I coached. But this is uh, not something that I think has been compared and studied. And I should also add that for me, at least in racing and in my coaching and personally, in racing, it's always the most comfortable Freely chosen cadence that applies, and what you do in training is just to get adaptations to make you as effective as possible at your freely chosen cadence. And question number three that you have is: Does a very heavy gear, like 30 to 40 RPM, short interval workout, uh, because is, is that effective to improve the ability to hold a 65 to 70 RPM cadence on Ironman and half Ironman distance races? So uh, this is what carson said uh he talked about those intervals in the interview and so that's that's what they do in the trisado camp i have no experience from either myself as an athlete or from my coaching with this lower cadence cadence range the lowest that i go with the athletes that i coach and in my own training as well actually tends to be sub 60 so like 55 to 60 or 50 to 60 rpm and uh as I just said, I would also not set any specific cadence goal for races. That would be the freely chosen cadence. Although if an athlete has trained a lot at low cadence, then they may actually approach those numbers. And uh, I think that my cadence on uh, on a 70.3 might be seventy five in the 75 to 80. Still quite a bit above that, but, but fairly low compared to most athletes that I coach because I trained train this stuff quite a lot. Uh, but anyway, so... So I can't really specifically answer that uh, that question. And I looked at some research, actually. There's a great... Well, it's the best review that there is, the best research paper out there that we have on this topic. It's called Effects of Cycling Training at Imposed Low Cadences, a systematic review. It's from 2017, and it was published, published in the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance. It's by Hansen from Denmark and Renestad from Norway. I know these researchers. They are brilliant researchers. I tried to get Renestad on many times, haven't succeeded yet, but I consider this a very, very credible paper, a very good paper. Uh, the thing is that there isn't a lot of research on the topic. They found seven studies eligible for inclusion in the review. And if I actually look a little bit at what they found, I'm going to read from the study. The first study found that the low cadence group compared to the high cadence group displayed on average a 3.6 percentage points larger increase in peak power in an incremental test. Uh, so yeah, that's 3.6 per- percentage points. Okay, so so that's fairly, fairly good. A good result for the low cadence group. Uh, also they displayed on average seven percentage points points larger increase in power output at four millimoles uh, blood lactate Uh, so so that was some good results and then the next study that they included found as the main finding the two different training groups increased average power output by similar magnitude in a 30 minute endurance performance test and uh, yeah everything was pretty similar it seems here just reading through it And uh, then the next study said that the low cadence group increased power output during both an uphill time trial by 4.4% and a flat time trial by 1.5%. Uh, so a clear difference there that they increased more in the uphill time trial. Interesting study design, really. For comparison, the changes were one3 and uh, plus 2.6% for the high cadence group. Uh, and then there was a third group a control group Uh, the changes were 40 percent and 3.5 percent and the time trials were 20 minutes and the the finding the conclusion was that the higher forces during the low cadence intervals are potentially beneficial yeah not very conclusive there in that one the next study going to number four showed that the low cadence group did not improve vo2 max uh, maximal incremental power output average power output in a 30 minute cycling time trial or leg strength but the freely chosen cadence group seemed to adapt in a beneficial way with respect to physiological adaptations for example increased vo2 max and performance for example increased average power output okay so actually this group in this study uh, Christoffersen, 2014 a well-trained male veteran cyclist 22 participants for a 12-week intervention in this group, the locate in this study, the low cadence group did worse than the freely chosen cadence group. Interesting. Uh, next, we have a study showing that the low cadence group displayed increased power output during cycling at five fifty RPM. Yeah, that was not a good study at all. They showed some improvements, but uh, the study design I can see immediately isn't really something that we want to put any much uh, credibility to. Next one. In contrast to the control group, the low and high cadence group attained similar improvements of VO2 max and power at lactate threshold. Uh, and uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. That's that's about it. Uh, so yeah, similar improvements. Then the rest was related to brain imaging stuff. So interesting, but I'm not going to read it now. Uh, and finally, the low cadence group as compared to the high cadence group displayed a larger increase, increase on average, 16% versus 8% of average, average power output in a 15-minute time trial. So both groups increased a lot, but the low cadence group increased a lot more. Uh, the uh, Hang on a second. Let me read that again. Yeah, okay. So the low cadence group compared to the high cadence group. The... Oh, and the time trial was performed at a freely chosen cadence. Sorry, I'm reading this off the cuff here, so that's why I'm hesitating a bit. The high cadence group, uh, uh, is this anything important? No, not really. It's just about how their freely chosen cadence changed. But the performance, uh, performance metrics was the time trial, and that was clearly in favor of the low cadence group. Both groups increased the VO2 max and maximum incremental power output during the training period. Uh, the high cadence group displayed an increased gross efficiency at 90 and 110 RPM. And, and also this study concludes, uh, based on all of these studies and what they what they conclude really, is that it is recommended to train at a wide range of cadences, including both high and low. So as I already said, low cadences here is considered below 70 RPM. So that was a long answer, but I really hope that you found it useful for those listeners that haven't checked out my episode with uh, Carson Christen. That was episode 140. I linked it in the show notes. And uh, was there anything else I was supposed to link to? I don't really think so. I think that's about it. So thank you for listening. And big thanks, finally, to our sponsors, Roca, that you can find on roca.com and that's where you can go and do all your shopping for wetsuits, suits, sunglasses, goggles buoyancy shorts, swimskins etc are you going to Kona? it's starting to get about time to get that new swimskin very very soon uh, so you can get 20% off all your purchases when you use the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps on roca.com And big thanks to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take that free online sweat test to get your individualized hydration strategy and make sure that you use the promo code thattriathlonshow, all one word, all caps, to get your first box of electrolytes for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.